I'm Jack, your host, and this is the Right in the Feels podcast. Whether you're a guy trying to figure out your feels in this crazy, crazy world, or you're a woman trying to solve the puzzle of why men think the way they do, well, this show is for you. Welcome, welcome back to the Right in the Feels podcast. As usual, I am your host, Jack. And today I have a very special guest. I'm really excited today to introduce Ben Fisher. And he's someone I've talked to a while ago. And we have a very important topic to talk about. And one that I actually have so many questions about. So welcome first, Ben. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. And for those that don't know Ben, he's the husband to Jen from Head to Toe, and they've created a, a massive YouTube channel, very successful. And they've talked about a lot of topics about family. And you guys actually have a series, Ask Jen and Ben, that talks about fatherhood, which is what we're going to talk about today, fatherhood and hashtag dad life. So Ben, are you ready to talk about this? Because there's a lot to talk about. Oh, I'm ready. I, I've had a lot of practice. When I think back, but the last time we actually talked in person, that was when Aria was just born. And for those that don't know, Ben and Jen are parents to two beautiful kids. If you look up, what's the the um, the count? Oh, tiptoe. Tiptoe. Uh-huh. They have the cutest kids in the world. <laughs> like I, I, and I don't mean to just say that. I mean it's it's really true. You have you two have the cutest kids in Thank the you. whole wide world. So with with that said, we're gonna get into fatherhood. I think for the most part, a lot of the times having kids is really focused on the women's journey, which it should, but there is a whole other side to being parents. And that's the dad part of it. Right. So being a dad, a lot goes into it and preparing to be a dad or not knowing how to be a dad and the fear of being a dad, that all plays into the mindset of, and even for a woman's perspective, how do I know the man that I'm with is even ready to be a dad in these conversations that need to be had? And that's why I wanted you to come on the podcast because you have a lot of experience. But even before getting into fatherhood, being in a partnership is important because being parents is the foundation of good parenting, having right. a good relationship. And when I think about you and Jen, I, I always think, oh, Christina, I have been together for a long time. We've been together 10 years now, I think going on 10 times two is how long Ben and Jen have been <laughs> together, right? How long have you guys officially been together? Oh, man. Uh, I think almost times two. I think it might be 20 years because we've been married since 2008 and we were dating seven years before. So I think that's officially 20 years, oh which is, is mind-blowing to think about. I've been alive more with Jen than I've been alive without her, which is pretty trippy. That is mind-boggling. So you guys started dating when, you know, you're like in high school-ish, right? Right. High school sweethearts. Not many stories really truly begin from high school sweethearts. No, (laughs) that's that's true. That's true. And you guys have been really successful in dating, obviously being able to maintain your relationship and have created a beautiful family. But, and you, you guys talk about this in Ask Jen and Ben on the series you have on your YouTube channel. There's a happily ever after, but leading up to all that it's a process in building a relationship so i kind of want to get into that first because to be good parents you have to really build a solid foundation right Right. for you reflecting back even before having aria how important was that foundation in your relationship with jen first so jen and i are firm believers in that like nothing just falls into place like everything in a relationship is a result of work it's a result of putting in time, chasing each other, caring about each other, like having trustworthiness, honesty, uh, being able to rely on the person if you need help. That was, that's like kind of the building block of our foundation is, is that like we really look at this as a group project. Like we try to hold ourselves to be accountable for each other, but also to do the work so that at the end of the day, like, what we make, we put our best effort into. Yeah, and I think that goes lost for a lot of people when they approach relationship. They understand work has to be put in, but the amount of work that you need to put in in communication and developing that, it's developing the the ebbs and flows of this way to exist together. And it's very difficult. And you guys being together since you were in high school, I'm sure it's been a journey, but where along that journey do you really feel like you were building those locks and you could really stand on that foundation? Honestly, like I, I feel like not discounting 
the early years of our relationship because a lot happened. A lot happens in seven years. And I feel like after we got married, I feel like that's when we truly had big stuff come up, like buying a car together. And just this is how it happened in our life is that we were looking at cars. We were thinking about not just our careers, but like where are we going to be in five years later in our careers? And uh, I think the first big hurdle we had was when Jen got a degree in industrial design. And that was a thing that we knew was not really big in Kansas. You know, you don't have a lot of, it's like, it's like Hallmark and Payless shoes. And that's kind of it. And Jen, Jen ended up working at both of them, but uh, the opportunity she had in her field that she was intending to go into was very limited where we lived. So we knew that that was a big roadblock that we would need. And so like from the point of being married, the first couple of years we were married, we were constantly looking at jobs in on the East Coast and on the West Coast in anticipation of having that be a big milestone that we were going to have to like deal with someday. Well, when you guys had started making these huge decisions together and, and they started coming up after your around the time that you got married and definitely after the time you got married, that process I'm sure translated into being parents because you have like going into a relationship and especially when you're establishing marriage, everything becomes, a, as you said, a group decision. There's right. no one person that is going to be a shot caller because the other person has to agree with it. Right. And, and that goes under the radar. I think if you don't find the right, I guess in this, in this sense, power balance and ways to communicate, then mm-hmm. somebody will be always feel like they're at a deficit. And you don't want to approach a relationship where one person feels like they're sacrificing over the other. Because I actually don't believe in the word sacrifice in a relationship because you are always agreeing to something if you're making a decision together. You know, right. Even if you're married, you can say, no, I don't agree to this and we need to keep talking about. And I think that's vitally important, what you just, just described, is being able to come together. And if you can't make a compromise, then you have to keep talking it through. <laughs> that just means you're not at a point where you can make a decision. Right. I I think that's a great mentality to have. And going from there, after you got married, do you guys always want to have kids? So actually, when Jen, right before she knew she was going to quit her day job to switch to YouTube, Mm -hmm. I was ready. And, And she actually might remember this too, but I specifically went to her one day and was like, hey, I think I'm at that stage. Like, I think I'm ready for this. And this was, man, this was like, (laughs) like eight years ago. It was a long time ago. You know, Jen had just switched jobs. I think she probably had a lot that she was thinking about of what she wanted to do with her career. And she said, I don't think I'm ready right now. We both agreed that it wasn't something to pursue at that moment in time. And luckily we didn't because we ended up moving six seven months later i don't know if that would have changed yeah us moving period but that definitely would have changed the way that events played out back then so so reflecting back to when you had that mental shift of being ready and you had started having that discussion with jen why were you ready why did it dawn on you that you were ready so i I think that we had you know this like the dream scenario of kids the we would have our own place we would both have jobs and we'd have some kind of financial stability where we feel like we could take care of a human being. And we had like a cheap apartment in Kansas. Uh, we both had jobs, not the best jobs, but jobs period. And I, I just felt like I'm sure some people can relate to this, but sometimes with kids, it just feels like you have a light switch like flipped on where all of a sudden I kind of went to have more family around. Mm. And I grew up in a house of six. Wow. Like I had uh, two brothers and a sister. So I was always used to having, you know, even if a brother or a sister wasn't home, Mm. someone else might have friends there. Or when we would have birthday parties, there was just a ton of people. Um, So I was always used to a lot of people in a house. And then when it was just Jen and I, It's not that it was lonely. It definitely felt like the way to fix this is to add children. (laughs) (laughs) I I can see when you grow up with 
a bigger family. You're used to that commotion. You know, when you feel family, you, when you envision life down the line with your partner, you see like rugrats running around, even yeah, yeah. as teenagers. And as you get even older, you, you see your kids go off to college and they come back on the, the holidays and there's always that mm -hmm. noise, you know. But for you having the, the prerequisites filled out, which is just having some kind of financial stability, but also having the relationship kind of at a steady place, that was satisfied then too for you guys, right? Yes. But then you added on more to that. You guys end up moving. Yeah. So that complicated things. And I, I think that because we moved, at least for me, that stored that desire back in the back of my brain for a couple of years. I didn't think about it. And it, it's not because any of the previous check marks became unchecked. I think it was just adapting to a new climate and making new friends and thinking about all of the differences that we've gone through in life in the last couple of years. But then it mellowed out again. And that's, that's when we both came to the conclusion that it was, it was time to have kids. How long was that before that conversation you had with Jen about at the time you were ready, but she wasn't, and then you both decided you both are ready. You got to really reflect that. <laughs> no, no, seriously, I do. So if we've been married 13 years, Ari, Ari is five years old. <laughs> this is a lot of math. Yeah, this is a lot of math. Uh, I but think it's probably a couple of years. I I, yeah, at least, at least three years between the time that I brought it up and was like, I'm ready to the time that I think we tried. Maybe it was four. Mm. I think four sounds more right. Was that discussion between you and Jen? When you guys both approached it again, in terms of the conversation, having kids, was it just really quick? It was like, okay, we're both ready or more had to be talked through at that point. It was pretty synergized. It was, it was like when Jen was like, I've been thinking about this a lot. I was like, I have been too. I think that we both had that switch flipped at the same time where we knew it was game time to build a family. Did you have any fears or any concerns for yourself as a man? What kind of dad you would be or were you really prepared to be a dad? <laughs> <laughs> because a lot oh. of guys always ask this. A lot of guys ask this to themselves. Like, Am I really ready? As much as they do want a family, like, shoot. I had a lot of hangups about how I would be as a dad. I grew up with a, my, I love my dad. My dad is a man's man like he lifted weights and bench pressed in the basement he'd be out all weekend doing yard work and he grew up with a very like rigorous background and doing a lot of physical labor and so I always looked at myself and I'm like well I'm not nearly as strong as him uh, I, I feel like I don't carry myself in the same way that my dad does I don't know if I could be that type of figure for like if I had a boy for instance and I'm not trying to play into like gender norms and stuff like that but I'm just saying that in general for me and how I feel about my childhood like I don't know how I would do that with my own children so when it came to kids I was always more inclined to hope for a girl because I was like a girl I can just be yeah the dad whatever they want i can i can just feel like not having an expectation of myself to try to navigate what it is to be a man or like what what it is to be the idea of a man you know yeah i love how you bring that up because in, in this podcast the theme when i approached you about being a guest of this podcast is what is it to be a man and mm -hmm. we all carry that with us. The first example is our, is our dads. And right. we carry that with us regardless. I mean, of course, you and I, we both love our dads. But they might come from a different generation where they operate differently. Sometimes they do fall into the gender roles, gender stereotypes, a little bit more than the generation now. And that's just time and place. But with that said, when you look at your, our fathers being that example, it is still a measure of, okay, well, well, how should I be as a dad? And if that's one of your measures, then you have to really examine a lot of things about your own personality and how you can show up for your kids or your wife in the future. And yeah, I love how you bring that up. It is a lot to grapple with. And I, for me personally, speaking on this, I've always feared being a dad. I carry that with me because my dad, in my opinion, wasn't the best dad because he wasn't really around. And mm -hmm. I think 
the, the availability is one of the biggest things about being a dad. Right. You have to be there for your kids on some level. And I get it. it life can be hard. And there's a lot of situations where dad have to go out there and work. Right. And he has to be away. But there's also the emotional availability that sometimes we need to talk about in terms of being a dad. So without getting there yet, um, I like how you brought that up. And it, it is a lot to process, a lot to really think about before you really say to yourself, like, okay, I can kind of trust to a certain degree. I can be a good dad. <laughs> and, and honestly, sometimes you might not be ready because sometimes it, it'll be, at least for me, I had the idea of I would be a good dad. And then when Aria came out, I was like, am I ready to be a good dad? It's something that you have to, it's a whole journey you have to navigate. And, and it's like, you don't start as an expert. Everybody yeah. starts as a beginner. Mm-hmm. There, there is no person who is like a perfect dad mm-hmm. ready before their kid exists, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you are mentally preparing, especially when you brought up your dad as an example of something that you weren't sure, seeing how your dad was and how you could even, let's say you, I mean, you have a son, so, but that's your second kid. How did you mentally prepare in that aspect of telling yourself, okay, well, if it is a boy, how would I handle things? Honestly, I, I didn't figure it out. Oh, okay. I, w- I was so terrified. And then when we did the gender reveal with our friends and we found out it was a girl, there was almost like a wave of relief mm-hmm. of, I, I don't have to figure this out right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I knew we wanted a, at least another child after Aria. And I knew in my heart it would be a boy. But I was like, I'm afraid mm. but like at least for now i don't have to figure this out mm. so there was a huge relief when you, found out, <laughs> you saw the pink popping out or whatever of your yeah. gender. <laughs> and so like when people were asking you know like when jen got pregnant the second time they were like do you hope it's a boy or girl i would say girl oh. just because i was i was so afraid to step into that role of being a dad for a boy i wasn't prepared it's interesting because I see a lot of guys have different ways of looking at it. A lot of guys obviously are like, oh, I want a son because it's a mini version of them. Right. And in fact, they're scared of having a daughter because like, oh, you know, the world as we see it, sometimes it's very rough for a woman, right? For a young girl, it's, it's oh, a yeah. lot to worry about. But for you, the fear was actually having a boy. And that's that's interesting. There's definitely two ways to look at it from a male, male perspective, from a man's perspective in terms of having whether a girl or a guy. Because, yeah, like if you see also a son in reflection of you, you also feel a huge pressure of how to treat him knowing that you have your own upbringing, you know, yes. the challenges of that. Right. Yeah. So let's get into the pregnancy part since you got you and Jen were ready at that time. When you guys found out she was pregnant, <laughs> what settled in? Who are the thoughts that settled in? Like, all right, this is going to happen in nine months' time. I am going to be a father. Honestly, there was a lot of shock and not mm. shock from her being pregnant, but shock from how fast it happened because it, it was a re- reoccurring thing that a lot of our friends were going through IVF where yeah. we're infertile and adopting. Yeah. And so, so when we set out on this journey, we were like, we're going to at least just casually try for a year. And then if we don't see anything, then we'll try really hard. And if, if it gets to be like an IVF thing, we'll, we'll get to that at a later time. So it, it, it was not something we were taking too seriously yet. And then two months later is when she had the, the first positive test. And so like, it was shocking in that, like, I, I just didn't expect it to happen as fast as it did. I like that you brought that up because the journey to getting pregnant can be a difficult one. Sometimes we just watch the movies or, or like over TV series and you're like, oh shoot, it looks so easy. Just two people in love or married or whatever, start trying and yeah, the baby comes. No, it's, it's really not the case. There's a lot of challenges. I think, you know, Jen on the channel has talked about not just challenges of getting pregnant, but the challenges of pregnancy itself. It's not just, hey, nine months later, a baby pops out. So with that said, as a dad along the pregnancy, what was your role in? It's it, for the first child, it, it's hard for guys because they feel like they don't have a defined role. For the woman, they have the baby growing inside them. Yeah. And their, their body 
often tells them what they want. So, you know, if Jen was low on iron, she would have a huge like craving for like steaks. And mm. I, there was one night that I went and got her naengmyeon, you know, the cold broth noodle at like 1130 at night because wow. she really likes pouring vinegar into it. And she would like whatever she needed from vinegar. So, you know, there's that kind of thing. But for the guy, I feel like it's harder in that you can be there for support. Mm -hmm. You can cook and clean and build cribs and help with getting the the child's room ready. But it's a lot of kind of trying to define your own role yeah. in that first nine months. With the second child, there's stuff that is easier to play out into. But the first kid is it's a lot of I almost feel like it, it's like a self-discovery period, Oh, you know, where, where you're figuring out what it is you can do to make the house a better unit, to make it comfortable for the two people that you're caring for now instead of just one. Yeah. So with Aria, going back to your first child, since it was such a new experience and you weren't sure of your role yet, everything's hitting you fast. You know, super fast. Did you feel a disconnect in, in comparison to Jen, obviously being very connected to the, the growing baby inside her body? Was there any disconnect seeing the difference? There was. And I think that that's something that I can't remember if I talked about that in the video that I did with Jen, but there, there's a, I don't, I don't think it's common with all guys. Mm -hmm. It was with me. And that when Aria came out, it was kind of like a slap in the face because, wow. and not, not a slap in the face. Like I'm insulted, like a slap in the yeah. face of like, I'm super shocked that yeah. this is now my child. It's because like a splash like, of cold water on you. Right? Yeah. 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 Aria was in Jen's stomach. Jen would know when she was having hiccups. Mm -hmm. She would know when she's awake. She would know when she was sleeping you know, there's a big connection that's physically built over nine months. Mm -hmm. The dad, on the other hand, is kind of just standing, like occasionally getting to touch the belly and feel yeah. the kid move. It's more of like you're watching something happen from the outside. Yeah. Not to say that you're not involved, but it's a very different role. And so when Aria came out, it was more like that was my starting point of building a bond with her. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, before it was like I could I mean, I could sing to Jen's stomach and I could feel for when Aria is moving, but I feel like the big connection is starting when they come out of the womb. Mm, yeah, I don't think that gets talked about enough. The yeah. difference of sometimes fathers can feel more disconnected in comparison to the mother because you're not experiencing the the growth that is happening internally and emotionally because they're being affected, their hormones are being affected. They actually have to carry the child. And and you're just, yeah, on the sidelines, doing your best to do what is necessary in response to what she needs because she's the one carrying the child. Right. And I, I think that often it goes back to like the Hollywood stuff. You know, we, we think that when the kid comes out, everything is like super happy and hunky-dory and everybody bonds, like soul bonds and everything's yeah. perfect. But it's more complicated than that. And it's not to say that there is no love there. It's not to say that there's no caring. It's just that it, it took longer for me to feel that connection than it did with Jen. Jen, it was instantaneous. Mm, you know, mm. She was holding Aria and feeding her within the first minutes of her life. You know, Me, when I held her yeah. and Aria sneezed for the first time, I was just like holding her, seeing this like little human doing all of these things for the first time, blinking, sneezing, moving our fingers. And there's a lot of complicated emotions, you know, wow. shock of seeing a kid mm. born from yeah. your partner. Yeah. Uh, like the fact that in 24 hours, you're taking this human home and you're going to be like <laughs> this, the sole caretaker for the next, you know, 18 years at least it's just emotionally it was just like a, a dump truck just unloading all of this stuff on me at once so it becomes like sensory overload right oh yeah yeah mm. i definitely had that <laughs> so for you when you were actually going through the delivery part of it was that any shocking or let's say what you were expecting versus the reality of the actual delivery part was there anything that caught you off guard i actually yeah, the, a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm very, very influenced. 
I'm sure a lot of people are mm-hmm. of the Hollywood dynamic of the wife is like screaming and yelling yeah. at the husband and like he's there holding her hand. Oh. It was drastically different. Oh. Uh, Jen Jen got her um I'm, my mind is blinking. She got the uh basically the epidural. Epidural, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> gone through this twice I should have this. thank you it's okay. uh, I, we can, you're a dad of two so sometimes dad brain I'm sure <laughs> oh dad brain is, is so real it's scary she got the epidural early and it was it was a uh, scheduled delivery so she was past her due date almost by a week mm-hmm. and so they were giving her medicines to help try to push the baby out Mm-hmm. And so when she started to feel her first contractions, she was just like, you know, why don't we just get the epidural now? Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was just quietly waiting mm-hmm. while Arya decided to make her way down the birth canal uh, wow. to get ready. I think we were in the hospital a good 24 hours wow, before, that's a lot of time. Yeah, before anything started. And then when it started, they were inspecting the contents of when her water broke. Mm-hmm. And they saw that Arya had, there was some, basically Arya had pooped in the womb, oh. which is normal. It's normal with babies that go past their due dates that are in there for longer. They start to like, their body starts to function more like if they were outside the womb. Oh. Um, and so that becomes an issue because when the baby comes out, they take their first breath and you oh. don't want them having poop going in their lungs because tons of bad things could happen Mm. so when jen was giving birth to aria we had the whole nicu unit the like emergency newborn infant baby team in there on standby so it was jen the birth doctor the doula uh, a couple nurses and then like six to seven members of this emergency newborn team with uh like a cradle and um this vacuum to like suction out her nose to make sure she didn't breathe anything in it. It was, it was, that's intense. Yeah, it was, and completely silent, completely silent. Like Jen wasn't like grunting when she was pushing. Uh, there wasn't anybody saying anything loud. It was just like, you could just hear the monitor beeps and just the doctors like talking back and forth, making sure they're ready with all their equipment. I wasn't nervous going into the birth process but that was a thing where i'm just like i hate this this is wow. so intense i just want ari and jen to be okay that yeah that was extremely intense i can only imagine especially when you have like a whole team ready for whatever situations that come up and they're they're also explaining to you things in real time and then right. these concerns are are coming at you fast and you're really just like i just want obviously the love of your life is about to deliver a baby to your baby, who's going to be the next love of your life. And you just want them to be healthy at the end of the day. I mean, that's first and foremost. It's right, such right. an intense situation. Yeah. And so when Arya came out and they vacuumed her nose and mouth right away, they basically said she's clear and the oh. whole team just instantly walked away. So it was like, it was <laughs> like, just bailed on it was like, like oh, okay, we're good. Yeah. It was, it was this buildup of really intense emotions. And then they were like, oh no, it's all good. Peace. You know, they just left it within a couple of minutes and mm. it was this really big buildup and then just kind of <laughs> evaporated, which is good. Yes, no, yes. Nothing bad happened, but it was something I won't ever forget. Wow. And you mentioned this earlier when we were talking already that when Aria was conceived and Jen connected to her instantly, for you, it was sensory overload. What did you do to connect to Aria in the beginning? I really liked holding her and rocking her and singing to her. Aria had big eyes when she was little. She still does, but she would just watch everything that you were doing. Mm-hmm. And she would watch her face. She would watch her hands. Mm-hmm. She was just a very responsive, from an early age, a very warm presence to be around. Mm-hmm. And so Jen actually had a lot of complications post-pregnancy. And she mm-hmm. ended up having an infection that left her bedridden for oh my gosh. at least four weeks. So a lot of the childcare was passed to me 
that Jen, it's not that she didn't do the hard stuff because through an infection and through fevers and through lack of sleep, she was still feeding Aria. Like she breastfed Aria until Aria was a year old. So she was still just doing a ton of work that if somebody had an infection as bad as Jen did, you would be like, don't do anything for three weeks. But here she was feeding Aria and, and still trying to take care of of her baby. But I was trying to do everything that I could. So I probably changed like 99% of the diapers in that time period. And I was basically awake most of the day trying to help take care of Aria at this time. So uh, we had Jen's mom there who we were hoping would be a big help. And she... She's a great cook, so she she kept us fed through everything, but her arthritis kicked in oh, like man. really bad, so she couldn't even hold Aria back then. It was one of those things where you, you kind of have a game plan mm-hmm. of how you're going to do things, mm. and then two people get sidelined with oh, uh you know injuries yeah. and it's like you're you're just the one person out there you're like you don't have any but any relief, so uh, a lot fell on me back then, but mm. I think it helped the bonding experience be like just super fast tracked. So Mm -hmm. within two weeks, I would say I was at the point that Jen was when she first held Aria. Now, like I felt a really fast connection after all of that. Yeah. I bring that up, that question, because I've heard this from a couple of my friends that are dads that when the baby comes out, of course, you know, as a dad, you're, you're just relieved that your wife and your baby are healthy and obviously Jen, she had to really overcome some really tough complications with infection, which I can't imagine for a mother who first has to recover from just if you don't have that complication, you have to recover physically from honestly, your body has suffered trauma. (laughs) But second of all, like you still have to nurse the baby because there's no way that you can nurse the baby that this is not like that part of the teamwork, you cannot do anything about it's all on the mom. And that's a lot of pressure, a lot of knowing that you also have to recover but you're also the sustenance for this baby, at least for the beginning stages. That's tough. But I hear this from a lot of dads is the connection is not there because when the baby comes out, it's just a crying baby. You just need to take care of the baby. The lack of sleep is getting to you. And you're also, as, as you pointed out, the sensory overload, emotional overload, and you're just trying to survive. And the yeah. baby doesn't have a personality. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just pooping pain. And, but for you, Ario actually was very... As you said, you know, she had huge eyes. She was, actually was kind of responsive. So that was the interesting part that you said. Like a lot mm-hmm. of dads, when they don't get that, because they're not the ones carrying the baby, and they're tapped to all of a sudden take care of this. Your life has changed instantly. <laughs> just just <laughs> right like that. So, yeah, that's very interesting that you said that. That's why I asked that question. And, yeah. and, and for you, oh, man, going through all of that, I can only imagine. The second kid is probably a little bit easier. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, cakewalk cakewalk <laughs> most people don't say that about their second kid <laughs> no it, no you're 100 percent right i've i've heard a lot more complications happening with the second kid but as ezra was just like a dream child like everything everything about him from his birth to raising him the first six months of him being in that really like small stage where milestones, like, you know, milestones for Aria as an older kid happen, you know, Mm. maybe once a year, like she'll start reading or she'll start riding a bike or something like that. But with little kids, their milestones are so big and they Mm. happen like every couple of weeks. So it's like, they start to get, you know, object permanence where they Mm. remember where things are Mm. And they uh, they start to like recognize distance and facial awareness and stranger danger, mm. and they you know start to be able to eat solids and drink on their own, and they literally learn how to communicate. And going through all of those, that I think is the thing that we expect mm. as dads. We have like this very fairy tale version of like. <laughs> oh, you know, the kid's going to come out and it's going to be hard for a couple of days. And then in a month, they're going to say dada or something, <laughs> you know. But but the, the truth is, is that it's like two to three months of really hard work of, yeah. of not getting any sleep, of taking care of what is essentially a potato. You know, <laughs> like Ezra, we were lucky in that he was a very smiley baby. But mm. um, 
I, I think for the most part, the first couple months just come as a a real test to mm. like to you, to your relationship, to how you handle stress, to how patient you are. But it's something that pays off. When Jen and I always like to say like the seventh month mm. is like the best month. It's like the you've made it because they they mm. have their personality a lot more developed they have a sense of humor that's showing through yeah. they they start to try to form words and they're eating on their own or they're at least eating solids so mm -hmm. that takes off a lot of pressure mm -hmm. off of like having to breastfeed or, or bottle feed uh, mm -hmm. constantly so you bring up the the test in the relationship aspect i want to use that as the next question how did it test your marriage, <laughs> I mean, obviously it wasn't like on the brink of anything, but how did it test the communication? How did it test just um, the dynamic now that uh, you have this potato? <laughs> it changed the dynamic in a way that I, I wouldn't say wasn't prepared for. I, I wasn't expecting. Mm. Before, when we were talking about our relationship and how long Jen and I have been together, we were, I was saying that like a, a, our cornerstone is like honesty reliability, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. I didn't expect that the biggest thing to come from kids would be to see each other as teammates. Oh, and that, that might sound weird because we've, we've been helping each other in this relationship for so long that that's kind of understood. But mm -hmm. that after kids, after, after Aria was born, we saw it more as teammates. Like, how do I, if, if I need to carry 90% of the work today, that's fine. Like, we're in this together. It doesn't matter. Because before, it was more like, how can we work together to make this project the best that we can? Yeah. And now it's more that, like, we understand that we're going to be limited in our capacity. Because Jen was obviously very sick, yeah. very limited in what she could do. But she had me there to like take care of everything. And so the aspect became not so much as like how do we divvy up this and, and share responsibilities, but it's more like who has to pull the heavier load today? Who is able to step up and do this for part of the team? Mm -hmm. And through that, we also learned that tapping out is mm. one of the things that really saved us from a lot of meltdowns. So mm. if we were dealing with a crying baby or, you know, if Aria was being really uh, resistant to listening or following and trying to do something, or if she made a mess, or if I was changing her diaper, I got sprayed with poop once, we would say, I'm at 100%. Oh. Like, I'm at my limit. Mm. And so... That's when we knew, oh, it's tap out time. Like, yeah, get out of the ring. I'll, I'll take your place. And that's honestly a huge way that our, our relationship switched. And so, like, we realized there was no more subtle hints at mm -hmm. how we were feeling. Mm -hmm. We just had to be brutally honest with, I'm at my limit. I really need you to help and, like, step in and, and take some of this responsibility off of me. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest change. Oh, man, I love how you articulate having a kid forces you or challenges you to communicate even more effectively. And yes, the example that I mean, you guys have been together ages. So you guys already probably were at a high level of communication, understanding each other's needs. But even so, you had to get even better at that same communication and even articulating it, quantifying it even saying like, oh, I'm 100 percent, 80 percent, 70 percent and understanding what that actually means and what the other person needs to do to make up for the rest of that percentage. That, that's awesome. That's such an effective way to tell other, other couples or whether you're married or not even, you don't even have to have a kid, but if you can communicate all the little nuances and the details, then yeah, you, you only get better. You only go stronger. Honestly, it made me feel like, like, how did we communicate before? You know, <laughs> <laughs> because like, how, how would I express that feeling mm. before? We, you were mentioned dad brain earlier, and it's a very real thing that is alive in my brain in that I don't remember. Like, I don't remember how we settled arguments before. I don't remember how we compromised on certain things. I only know this team tap out thing that we have now. Yeah. The, the like, the brutal honesty, the just really clear conveying of each other's emotions mm -hmm. is something that we just really rely on now.
So when we're talking about emotions and you're learning with Jen to just communicate effectively and just brutally honest for yourself, since the beginning of when Aria was conceived and Jen was going through that infection, you had to pick up 90% of the work at that time. How were you able to keep emotionally stable, emotionally, I mean, being able to have a good mental health space? You know, I, I think a lot of it honestly pales in comparison to like what is going on now with like the isolation of being quarantined and, and stuff closed down. It's kind of how I felt. Mm. So I, I think that that's a, a good relative thing that's going on now that mm. I felt like I was restricted in what I could do, where I could mm. go. And not just because I had a child at home, but because of how demanding the current situation was mm. of, of Jen being sick, of Arya being a very tiny newborn. So it, it was a, a feeling of isolation. Mm. And how I got through it was through a lot of communication with my friends. Mm. So I would basically just unload, just yeah. vent to them for an hour or so. That's a really good network of friends that would be there to support mentally. Um, physically, we were, you know, really worried about Jen. And, and when a kid is born, I want to say it's either three weeks or three months before they can get their shots for certain diseases, like certain vaccines to prevent them. So like, you don't want to have a lot of people coming in the house that don't have this Tdap shot, yeah. which prevents that. So we weren't having a lot of friends over. We weren't weren't seeing many faces. Mm -hmm. So it was just one of those things where my, my crutch was reaching out to people and opening up conversations and being honest with them the same way that I was honest with Jen about like the stuff that I was going through uh, mentally to try to be there mentally for my family and that it wouldn't like that the stuff that I was going through would not impede what was happening in the household. Yeah, I love how you say that because there's the duty part where you just have to show up and do things, physical things that you have to do to keep right. this baby alive. But the, the mental aspect affects even the baby because your your emotions, the way you carry your energy, I'm sure there is some wavelength there. And as men, I know a lot of men are really bad at communicating, really bad at really trusting that they have a support system and, and reaching out. Oh, yeah. But, for you, you had that support system, and that's so important because it helped you through that tough time. And you don't just rely on your partner either. There's the whole point of having friends and people you care about, family, outside of Jen, is they can also help you in your tough times. And that's right. Lend a ear. And I think that's so important for men. That's why having you answer that, you're not alone. And that's the most important thing. Being a dad is not being alone either. Even if it's just unloading, that, that matters a lot. Just unloading right. your stress. And yeah. what you guys had to deal with, especially with Aria, that's so much just stress and pressure on your shoulders. And you're also concerned about your wife. Yeah, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a lot to take in. You know, you're kind of trying to process on your own. Because mm -hmm. it's not like after you do that, you're going out to work in a week yeah. to say to your buddies like oh this has been going on at home like i saw the whole NICU unit like when my daughter was being delivered i think for most people yeah some people unfortunately don't get paternal or maternal leave for very long but i think that for a lot of people they have that couple weeks at least of stages of where they're at home and they're trying to take care of a baby take care of their wife that just went through bodily the most traumatic thing that will yeah. most likely happen to her and uh also try to navigate the relationship through all of that mm -hmm. um you know trying to be a good husband and trying to be a good father mm -hmm. and uh it's just it's a, a difficult, difficult journey yeah but but it is it is rewarding yeah but i i think that that's something that you know jen jen and i have talked about a lot of times uh she'll say you know how hard aria was mm. and then people will say but it was worth it right mm. and it's like it was worth it but that doesn't discount how hard it was yeah. to get there and i think that that's the thing that we need to remember is that like the process of being a dad and being a, a husband or a support partner or whatever even though it's 
hard and there is a payoff at the end, it's okay if it feels hard. It's okay if you don't feel connection right away. It's okay if you have feelings of self-doubt about if you could be a good father or if you're being a good husband or if you're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we still talk about to this day is like, are we implementing the right disciplines? Are we saying the right things when we're trying to get the kids to do something we want them to do? If Ari has a problem with Ezra, are we trying to get them to see each other's perspective in the right way? Are we like trying to instill empathy within our kids, you know? Yeah, I I think that philosophy that you're describing, a lot of people feel like you need a payoff of some sort to justify the struggle. But the reality is the payoff is at the end of the day, is not some magical thing. The payoff is always growth. Whatever challenges come, what you've learned about yourself, about the people around you, that's the payoff. There doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a shiny prize at the end of the day. Like, oh yeah, it was worth having kids and going through all those struggles. It, it was always going to be worth it because you're always going to grow in that aspect if you dedicate your mind and your mentality to the challenges will come. They're going to be really hard. In fact, a lot of the challenges we can't foresee. There's no right. planning. Right. You can, obviously as a parent, you should plan to a certain degree. There'll be a lot <laughs> yes. of unforeseen things. And you don't have to be a parent to face challenges either. You're just going through life. But oh, 100%. There doesn't have to be an X amount of dollars that you have to earn for something to be worth it. Or kids at the end of the day say, like, well, it was worth going through all that struggle. No, it was always going to be worth it. But what's true is us having this discussion. What was worth it was you going through that struggle and being able to communicate and help others in that struggle mm-hmm. and, and learning and telling them that it's going to be okay because you're going to grow from it. And sure, you're going to face a lot of fears, but the fears will make you stronger because it's going to make you be able to handle difficult situations in the future that you're going to have to face. <laughs> right. Uh, so with Ezra coming, the second kid, and, and you said earlier that Ezra, because of Aria, it was kind of a cakewalk, which is not the case for most parents because the second kid just adds more and more onto the responsibility, onto what you need to do already, which is incredible oh, yeah. because that, that challenge that you had with Aria and, and Jen going through that infection made things a little bit easier, <laughs> which, is, which is cool. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of moments with Ezra where they thought his stomach wasn't growing mm. uh, or they thought the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. There was a lot of fear of mm. complications of something that could happen to him before he was born. Yeah. So these these were all things that were going on with our doctor that we were talking about and finding about mm. as Jen was going through the pregnancy. But then once he was born, it was just like somebody reached over and pushed the easy mode button. You know, with Aria, we dealt with a reflex. So mm. it, when she would drink milk, she would spit her milk back up if she were laying down like asleep in bed. So she would just like puke milk all over herself. Ezra, we didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Ezra didn't want to take a pacifier. We never had to wean him off of a pacifier, which is one of the most frustrating things <laughs> that we had to deal with with Aria. Uh, Ezra didn't want to be swaddled. Mm-hmm. So when we put him down for a nap, we didn't swaddle him up with blanket. He did not want to be rocked. Mm-hmm. So when we put him to sleep, we just laid him in the bed and walked away. Wow. Like said, good night, Ezra. So like no swaddle, no rocking, no pacifier. Mm. Just like literally laid the dude down and he never cried. Wow. And like we hesitated talking about his personality with other parents for so long because we were just like, if anybody knows that we have a baby that acts like this, so so angry and so jealous because he was just like perfect and when when other friends would come over and see him and hold him we're like disclaimer babies are not like this like he is a very special case like we always joke about the laundry list of stuff we would leave for the sitter for when she had to put aria down like play this music read her this book Uh, swaddle her this way, put the rocking machine on, put her in here. Even when she was a toddler, it it was still something like that. But Ezra was just, turn off the lights, put him in bed, turn on his white noise machine, close door. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Honestly, that's unheard of. I don't think I've heard of anybody being able to uh, 
say that about a baby. It was just it's an outlier. We, He's an outlier. <laughs> and, and you know what? The, the funny thing is, is that the most stress that we had was figuring out his personality did not rely on those things. Mm. And so with the first time that Jen found out that he didn't want to be swaddled is we would swaddle him all the time. He would just cry. Mm. We try to give him a pacifier and he would spit it out and he would cry. Mm. Like these are the only times he would cry. And Jen, Jen was feeding him one day and then got up to go to the bathroom and came back and he was just asleep. Mm. Just fell asleep, just hanging out on the bed with no pacifier, with no swaddle, with no anything. Wow. And she was, maybe we should just put him to bed like this. Yeah. And so sure enough, like that's, that's how it happened. And so like whenever we encounter a struggle with Ezra, we have to remind ourselves it's actually not that bad because <laughs> with Ari, it was a significantly more impactful struggle of Aria, her terrible twos, was she would just wake up crying for 20 minutes, unconsolable. Oh. I would sit there, pat her back, ask if she's okay, are you really sad, give her some water, go through breathing techniques, just sobbing every single time. Ezra, his terrible twos, like if he started crying and you would say like, Ezra, are you sad? He would say, yeah, I'm very sad. And then, like, he would realize that, just kind of calm down instantly. Mm. And he's still, he's still actually very, very good at communicating his emotions, mm. which is something Arya, Arya wears her emotions on her sleeves. Mm -hmm. So you know if she's angry, you know if she's upset. But Ezra, like, he might be crying, but it might be because he's hurt or because he's jealous or because he's scared about something. So communication is very important with him and yeah. he excels at it he's actually very great wow first of all you guys deserved a break from from the challenges of aria so maybe <laughs> that's just the universe balancing out they, they threw you a curveball with aria and then they're like okay we'll take it a little bit easier with ezra and also it's like there's no real rhyme or reason like how personalities develop where aria's terrible twos versus ezra's terrible twos it's just however they grow is however they grow there's you can't control it really so yeah like, yeah like how you could never predict that ezra would be her ter his terrible twos would be that drastically different than Arya. In fact, maybe you were fearful if Arya had such a tough terrible twos that Ezra would mirror it. But no, there, there, there's just no rhyme or reason because you guys are both, I mean, amazing parents. <laughs> well, thank you. That's actually playing back into the whole, like me being afraid of mm. being a father to a son. Mm -hmm. That was the thing that I was afraid of the most with a boy is that like, mm. would they just instantly out of the womb have some kind of resentment to me not mm. being like the man's man. Yeah. And which is silly to say out loud, mm. but it is a very real fear that I had about like not being what I thought a father should be. Yeah. And when he came out, he came out smiling at three days. Being in his presence made me feel better as a person like a very impactful birth mm. um and i think that that's the difference between this the first and the second this first you're just like unprepared for everything the second is like an addition to your family wow. and not that the first isn't but it, it's you know what to expect yeah. you know that they're already going to have even more people welcoming them home yeah. because they have a sibling mm. and with ezra it was as personality his humor mm -hmm. his smiles like i think a lot of that helped manage my feelings of me feeling like i could potentially be a bad dad to him yeah. but having having somebody that i wanted a good relationship with mm -hmm. uh that had the kind of just really infectious love that he had it, it just made me want to be whatever he needed and that, that might necessarily not be the mere reflection of what my dad was to me when I was growing up, but it instilled in me a confidence that I can be there for him because he is such a good kid. I want to try hard. Mm. And I think that goes back to like the whole stuff doesn't fall into place. Yeah. Like being a good dad doesn't fall into place. And so like seeing Ezra, knowing who he is, knowing what I need to do to be a good dad to him, that made 
the line of work easier for me to get prepared for that challenge. So when you reflect back on what built up in your head and what you thought, what your fears were and what you thought might be a good dad or a bad dad, when Ezra was born and you were taking care of him, like that all kind of fell away because it's all built up in your head, right? Right, yeah. right. And when you actually just have to take care of your son, that falls away because you love him. It goes beyond just what we build up in our own heads a lot of the times, like the fear based on right. our past, based on whatever experiences we had, um, whether that's in our control or not. When you really put your heart and soul into something, then that kind of slowly washes away. Although it doesn't mean the challenges doesn't go away. The fear doesn't go away, though. It's just something you have to be aware of, right? Is it something now exactly. that you're just very aware of that you're continuing to try to be one step ahead in understanding it and not projecting that onto your, your son? Right. There is a Harry Potter quote that I really like. <laughs> I can't remember which book, mm -hmm. uh, but Dumbledore says, there's going to come a time when you have to choose between what is easy and what is right. Mm. And it's like, I, I, I love that for a couple of reasons. One, that it indicates that the right way is usually the harder way. Yeah. But um, for me, I always think about that with raising the kids and that there's the easy way of giving them something that either they want or giving into, you know, what they're complaining about or just like turning the TV on all day and just letting that be the babysitter or there's the hard way of facing challenges you might not want to face. Like how do you tackle problems like at school or at daycare or how do you tackle problems with behaviors that you want to try to manage or how do you instill a routine? One of, one of the things we've had to navigate recently is Ari and Ezra have always eaten my food that I've made. So like they'll eat at home and especially during coronavirus, the whole quarantine period, I was cooking a lot for them at home. And so they would eat here. Their daycare and Ari goes to there after kindergarten just started doing their own pre-made meals and Aria was not eating them. She would just come home having not eaten any lunch. And when I would ask like the teachers why she didn't eat, she would say, oh, she just says that my daddy makes this better at home. <laughs> that's so cute. Oh my God, that's adorable. <laughs> like like on, on one hand, I'm like, I'm humbled. Thank you. But on the other hand, it's like, I want her, her to be able to take on challenges like this. Mm. As small as eating a school lunch is, I want her to be able to do stuff like that on her own. Yeah. And so now the problem is, how do you get your kids to do things when you're not there mm. like how do you get them if they're not listening to a teacher mm. how do you get them other than just telling them at home yeah it's a whole different ball game like after you drop them off and they're gone all day mm. so it, it was uh, a lot of navigating the different techniques that we would try when you were expressing your experience to aria and ezra right now <laughs> just even with the food what really struck me is and i didn't have parents like this and i love my parents but they were very regimented in how they wanted to raise me and my sister. They're like, well, this is just going to be how it is. When we discipline you, we want you to do something. This is just how we're going to do it. We're going to yell at you and don't do this. Eat your vegetables. Forget all. Don't question us. You know? Yeah. And I think with modern parenting or hopefully modern parenting and how you're articulating is there's so many nuances to parenting and adjustments that you're making with each child because each child is different too. And oh, yeah. you're always trying to problem solve these little things that come up. And that's so important with what you're saying, because just in general, whether you're a, a kid right now or you are going to be a parent, is being able to think on your feet and be able to process these things in real time when you're going through all this stress. I get why parents do that, because you're working or whatever, you're dealing with stresses of life outside of your kids, and you got to raise this child. and things are just happening really fast. But to be able to take a deep breath and allow that space and thought for yourself, awareness really, in those little bits of space that you can, that's so important. Right. It, it matters. It really does. Right. And I want to end this podcast. Usually it's like an advice section, but you've already kind of answered a lot of it. <laughs> I wanted to ask this. What did you learn about yourself the most in becoming a dad? 
I think it was being honest with myself. Mm. I think it was being honest with myself, being honest with Jen, and not really trying to push away those feelings of if there's something I have doubt about or if there's something I'm shamed about or if there's something that I, I'm scared about. Like, the more that I engage and try to figure that out and also try to talk to my partner with, the more I have an understanding of why I'm having those and if are they important or are they just an anxiety that I have. Mm. And it goes back to like the brutal honesty thing of just being very upfront and facing those challenges like when they come up rather than trying to push them off to later that I think really helped me elevate myself more as a father, but also as a husband, which Mm. we've talked about it before, but Jen and I feel like we haven't loved each other as much as we have now as parents. Mm -hmm. You know, you see your partner going through a whole process of events of through carrying a child and, and being a mother and helping raise these kids. And, and it's just seeing them in a different light yeah. in a different way. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And what I hear is the new appreciation you guys gain for each other. At the end of the day, yes, having kids gives you another hiking experience to, with each other because you have to take care of this. Something you guys both created out of love. But beyond mm-hmm. that, it's anchored in what you were saying is the self-growth, the self-honesty. And you were able to both connect on that that level still. And mm-hmm. that will carry in your, not just in your marriage, but it will carry it on to your kids, which is why like, I want to thank you so much for coming onto this podcast and being so vulnerable and so honest. If anything, it's taught me something because I'm not a dad. And it's something that I've thought about with Christine. And we've had that discussion. And I'll probably create an episode about like how we, how we think of that. Um, that I guess I'm throwing a teaser out there, but <laughs> it, it's anytime I talk to a dad, especially someone like you, it, it only comforts me because I didn't have that growing up to know mm. that there are dads like you out there. It, it just makes me so happy just because my childhood was not like that. And again, I love my dad, but it's different when you can have a dad really look at life in such a positive way and so willing to put themselves out there and face challenges in just that, the self-growth point of view. Yeah. I mean, I've always tried to be look on the bright side kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe that's where a lot of my anxiety comes from mm-hmm. is with the, with kids, there will eventually be some type of hard road ahead. Mm-hmm. And I know that the hard road is the right road. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm ready for it. It's kind of like uh, before kids, I could just not worry about it. But with kids now, there is a timeline to like that self discovery like yeah i have a time you know as there's going to be a certain age or aria and they're gonna have to have like the sex talk or something you know like that <laughs> there is a, a a finite amount of time now before something like that happens and so it's interesting in that you you have all of this stuff that you might have been processing at a your own pace, mm. but now there's a timeline to it. Mm. And I, I think that that encourages a lot more growth. Like it, it could also encourage people to, to stay away from it, which yeah. is fine. But like, I think that an interesting thing is that the, the father club is not inclusive. It's just a different mix of emotions that are fast-tracked, you yeah. know? Like you're going through a lot of stuff at a, a, a similar time that, is somebody who does not have a child might also be going through. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it is interesting to get the perspectives of what it's like to go through that stuff because it's very different for a lot of people. Just like one thing that we heard with both pregnancies is how different every pregnancy is. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's the same way with raising a kid. It's very different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, I think the most important is to know that you have resources out there in support, whether it's you reach out to your your own friends or your family or find some kind of resource out there because there are people going through the same thing as you are. Maybe not the exact same thing, but there's a, a, something to relate to to right. know that you're not alone because as men, sometimes we do feel like we have to do things alone, but we don't. And, and I right. think being a dad, that's the most important thing that you want to articulate to your kids in the future too is you're not alone. That's why you're there for them. But we ourselves, we're not alone too. And that's, right. a, that's a constant reminder. 
So, so Ben, thank you so much for, for joining this podcast and being so open. Um, can you help share some of your socials? Yeah, yeah. Um, so my Instagram that I post most of my stuff was it's Benjamins. And then uh, Jen, my wife, is at From Head to Toe. Mm-hmm. And then we have our, not really our kids account, but just like our parent account yeah. at uh, Tiptoe. Those cutest kids, I'm telling you. They're so <laughs> cute. <laughs> Christine always, in the past, every time she went over, she was like, Aria is the cutest. I don't think she's seen Ezra yet, but I, I think that will happen in the near future. I think they were supposed to let oh, me yeah. out, but then something fell fell through. And next time, I'll, I'll, come, I'll come around for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to meet the kids. Yeah, come and meet them. They're, yeah. they're great. They're very affectionate and very warm to just anybody. You know, coronavirus has kind of dampened their stranger danger. So, it's just like, you know, we had like contractors and plumbers and stuff yeah. coming in the house and the kids were like riding on their back by the time they were out of the house. It's, they're just, they're really great. Well, it strikes me as no surprise knowing you and talking to you today, even getting to know you better. And obviously, Jen that why your kids are so warm and, and just welcoming. Oh, thank you. So yeah, you can follow right in the fields, all, all the socials in the description and I'll put Ben's socials and their, their parent account and also Jen's socials. I appreciate you, Ben, again for coming on and I thank anybody who finds this useful. I hope this episode finds you well and yeah, we'll talk soon. Bye.